Hello and welcome to our sermon podcast for Harlan First and Monroe Chapel United Methodist Churches. Today we are concluding our series of sermons looking at the early stories of Genesis. So far we've looked at the first two creation stories, Cain and Abel, and also Noah and the Flood. So today we're going to finish with the Tower of Babel. Now as I begin I want to remind you again of two main ideas that undergird the whole series. First, much of the Old Testament is believed to have been compiled and edited together into its final form during the time when the Jewish people were living in exile in Babylon. Babylon were the people who came and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and pretty much their entire kingdom, and those that were not killed were made to live in the land of Babylon. And so, Much of the Old Testament is a writing of their Jewish history trying to explain why God would do this to them, because in those days they believed that everything that happened was because of God. So that's one thing I want you to know about. The second thing is that there's more than one kind of truth. So in the Bible and in general, we have different kinds of stories. Some stories are factual or historical. In other words, their primary concern is giving you the facts of what happened and telling history. Then there are other stories that may have a loose basis on history, but that's not their main concern. And then we have some stories that are completely not concerned with history, but they have other things to communicate, whether it be uh, deeper truth, allegorical truth about humanity or God. So with those two assumptions in place, let us look at the story of the Tower of Babel. It's a short story, even shorter than Cain and Abel. You can find it in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And in this story, all the people lived in the same place and had the same language. This takes place in the Bible right after the story of Noah, and so the assumption is that there aren't that many people yet. So they're all still together, and they are migrating. They are a nomadic people group. They don't stay in one place for any length of time. But then, as they migrate, they come upon this plain in the land of Shinar, and they decide that they want to settle there. Now, Shinar is a Mesopotamian river valley, which just so happens to be the place where Babylon was located in later days. And of course, where this story is taking place historically is before there is a city of Babylon, but that location is very important, and we'll talk about that a little later. But the people decide that they want to settle there, so they're going to build a city and a tower. Not just any tower, though, but a very tall tower reaching up to the heavens. Now, for ancient people with an ancient worldview, the sky was thought of as the abode of the gods. The gods lived in the skies, literally. And so, uh, for many people back then, mountains were the highest structures that they knew, and it was believed that gods would come down on the mountaintops to visit people or do whatever business they needed to do. And so that's why we have Moses going up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. And sometimes people would build their own mountains. They're called man-made mountains, but they're towers, basically, that reach up towards the heavens. And sometimes people would place altars or temples at the top of the tower uh, to be a place where God could come down to. So anyway, they, they decide that they build this tower, and then as the story goes... The Lord comes down to see the city and the tower that the people had built. This reminds us of an idea that I shared in some previous sermons, 
that the earlier you go in the Bible, the more God is like a person. And of course, for these early stories of Genesis, God is very human-like. That's because people's beliefs about God have changed and adapted, even in the Bible itself. So the further you go through the Bible, the less often God is going to seem like a a human being. But in this story, uh, God is not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything. You know, he has to actually go down in order to see what's going on on earth. And so God goes down and he takes a look at the city and the tower that the people have built. And at this point, he immediately becomes very stressed. God is very stressed and worried. He's beside himself because of all that the people have accomplished together. And God is fearful that if humans were left to continue to work together, then they could do anything We see a similar story or a similar theme in the story of Adam and Eve in which God worried after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that if they stayed in the garden, they would also eat from the tree of life and become immortal or divine. And so he kicks them out of the garden to prevent that. Well, same thing in this story. God seems concerned that if the people can build this tower, then perhaps they can climb up into the realm of the divine and they themselves can become divine and perhaps even overpower God. And it's a strange idea to us, I know, but remember, this is a long time ago, so we can't expect them to think like we do. So, in this story, uh, the humans pose a threat to God, and so he has to prevent that, just like in the Garden of Eden. And so, in this story, he scatters the people all over the earth, and gives them different languages so that they cannot understand each other. That way they can't work together. And the town is then called Babel, because the people were confused by being given new languages. We still use that word today to refer to someone who's speaking nonsense. So a few things to think about this story. First of all, this story presents a scattering of humanity that is different than what it says in the chapter preceding it. Chapter 10 of Genesis is not the most exciting chapter of the Bible. It traces the the descendants of the sons of Noah, linking them to all the different nations of the world around them that, that were known at the time. Now, when I was preaching on Noah last week, I didn't mention chapter 10 because, quite frankly, it isn't very interesting. If you were reading through the Bible, Genesis chapter 10 would be a chapter that you'd probably just skim through. But it is interesting in relation to the Tower of Babel story, only point out that these stories give different accounts of how humans spread throughout the known world. Chapter 10 explains that through a period of time, the descendants of Noah naturally spread apart, creating their own nations, cultures, and languages. In chapter 11, however, of course, it's much more of a supernatural confrontation where God scatters them directly to stop them from gaining divinity and besting him. And this observation simply highlights that many of the stories of the Bible existed before they were compiled together as separate stories, and they were later adapted together to fit into a grand narrative. Now, some stories are made more to fit together, such as the history of Israel as a nation with their kings, but stories like the early stories of Genesis are more like a collection of short stories that may or may not be meant to be uh, together. They might not 
be meant to be read as being in chronological order. Sometimes these stories present alternate versions of what happens, such as the creation stories and the explanation of the scattering of people. We should also note that this story does not take into account continents separated by oceans. That would have been a foreign concept to them. So that's the first thing. Uh, the story is not the only story of the scattering of humanity. Secondly, there are some who think that this story was originally meant to be a form of political propaganda. That's interesting. Political propaganda against Babylon. Remember, Babylon is where the Jewish people are living in exile at the time that they would have compiled these stories. So they're living in Babylon, and it is believed by some that this is political propaganda mocking Babylonian culture. Think about it. The story is located in the place of Babylon. Some think this story is mocking them and, and creating a, a version of how Babylon got its name. You know, Babylon, Babel, they're, they're nonsense. Uh, Babylonian culture was well advanced in those days. And this story is thought to give a warning about the dangers of using their mightiness and their power when not accompanied by a reverence for God. It's interesting that the ambition in the story to build a tower that reaches to the heavens compares to how the king of Babylon is said to boast about himself. In Isaiah chapter 14, <clears throat> speaking of the Babylonian king, the prophet says this, he says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly on the heights of Zaphon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's Isaiah 14 verses 13 to 14. And those words are attributed to the Babylonian king. And what Isaiah is doing is he's describing how the king of Babylon thought he was so high and mighty. But he goes on to explain that the king of Babylon would be brought down low by God. Pride comes before the fall. Now, returning to our idea that these stories are meant to tell us why they were in exile, it makes sense that many of these stories would be directly related to their present predicament. And so the explanation that they're giving is that God used Babylon as an instrument of his wrath to punish them and bring them to exile. But then, after God has finished using Babylon for his wrath, they believe he's going to punish Babylon for doing what he wanted them to do in the first place. It's like he uses them to punish Israel, and then he punishes them for punishing Israel. <laughs> it, don't try to make sense of that. It's an idea in the Bible. You don't have to agree with it, but it's how people thought back then. You know, they had to make sense of the political realities around them in a way that made sense because they believed everything, including every political reality, occurred directly from God. And they couldn't even pin it on the devil yet because they didn't have any concept of the devil at that time. So everything had to be caused by God. So if Babylon destroys them, it's because Babylon is God's instrument of wrath. We probably wouldn't say that today if the same thing happened today. But they held out hope that God would still punish them regardless. So many people believe that this story is political propaganda, mocking and condemning the pride of Babylon. So in any case, what does this story have to teach us? Well, 
I'll tell you, it does not teach that there's anything inherently wrong with building cities or towers. I mean, we have towers that are taller than any they could have made, and I guarantee you, no longer, no matter how tall we build, we're not going to reach God. And we also should not use this story to speak against diversity or against working across cultural and language barriers to accomplish great things for the good of the world. I think it's good when we can work together as humanity to create good in the world. And we have to remember that as this weekend is Pentecost Sunday, you know, we remember the Jewish festival of Pentecost when all Jews from all over were gathered together in Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem swelled during that time, and it was that time that the disciples received the Holy Spirit. And they came outside and they preached for the first time to the people that were around them. Now, here's the thing. The audience for the disciples' first sermon was multilingual. It was many different languages were represented. And yet, they, everybody could hear them in their own language. So it's almost like God was undoing the Tower of Babel. And so I don't think God is against us working together for things. But one thing that we do see in this story is a warning against the dangers of pride and power. Pride can be a good thing, a healthy thing, but when it's combined with privilege or power, it can lead to hurting others. And throughout history, prideful, powerful empires have tended to neglect the poor and the outsiders and to only think of themselves first and foremost. All empires fall prey to this temptation. The story of the Tower of Babel seems to be warning Babylon about their power. Um, but, you know, we see the same thing happening with Babylon, Assyria, in the New Testament, Rome, and every empire, including our own, uh, has these temptations. You know, we tend to want to neglect the poor and the outsiders and to, you know, have that temptation to just be concerned with power and might. You know, there's a belief, many empires believe that their size, their technological feats, and their power are signs that they are greater than any other empire. And usually this is followed by the thought that if the world, that the world would just be a better place if only everyone else lived exactly like our empire does. In many cases, empires force others to live as they do. You know, it's kind of a me-first philosophy. And with a me-first outlook, it can become really easy to neglect the poor and the vulnerable and the weak and those in the minorities in a context for power. This is a temptation, as I said, for every empire, including our own. And that's why we must remain humble and remember where our strength comes from. We must continually seek God's wisdom and live the ethic of Jesus. The ethic of Jesus, which includes loving your enemy, caring for the outsider and those on the fringes of society. Uh, these are hard things for an empire to want to do because it's not in their own interests if they are just thinking of themselves. But that's the whole point of following Jesus, is that we don't think just of ourselves, but we think of others as well. And this just isn't hard for empires, mind you. It's hard for us too as individuals. The story warns against the dangers of pride as individuals too. In all of our accomplishments and all of our power, we must remain humble. And we must remember and acknowledge the God that's following, that the God that's shown to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Loving the enemy, caring for the outsider, and forgiving others. 
Because only when we follow the teachings of Jesus, only when we follow the ethic of love, only then can we remain on solid ground and build a solid foundation for a structure that will outlast us all and last forever. Amen.